0: Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. This is a weekly podcast about the Camino de Santiago, but sometimes it's more than that. Sometimes it's a chance to try to learn more, to grow more. The Camino is a series of pilgrimages across Europe, following in the footsteps of St. James the Greater, one of Christ's apostles. James's remains are interred beneath an iconic cathedral in the Spanish city of Santiago de Compostela which translates as St. James under a field of stars. It's said the Camino follows the earth's ley lines, those energy paths of the planet. Some say the Camino follows the Milky Way, the field of stars. One thing is certain. You will feel the energy of the millions of pilgrims who have walked before you. The pilgrims have walked this path for thousands of years. Many walk for redemption, to seek forgiveness for sin, hoping for renewal, for forgiveness, for spiritual cleansing, or simply to walk in slow motion in a foreign country amid other pilgrims who want nothing more than a simple life and simple joy. What I've learned in the more than 200 interviews I've conducted over the last four years is we're all searching. Some of us know what we're hoping to find. Others may never know, but they're enjoying the search nonetheless. Some of us find it easily and with true joy. Others keep searching and it's the journey of discovery they enjoy the most. 2020 has meant many of us can't get to the Camino. We're walking and searching at home. Many are walking virtual Caminos, an online pilgrimage of the heart and soul. Carol King posted a great quote on one of the virtual Camino sites on Facebook this week. An adventurous life does not necessarily mean climbing mountains, swimming with sharks or jumping off cliffs. It means risking yourself by leaving a little piece of you behind in all those you meet along the way. Take yourself back to sitting in the square opposite the cathedral in Burgos and then wandering down the narrow streets for tapas as the sun goes down. Remember the cooling water canals that take you into Framista sitting in awe as the monks sing Vespers in Rabinel del Camino. That thrill as you see someone up ahead, someone you haven't seen for weeks, and you think, couldn't be. It is. <laughs> Putting your head under water, flowing from a fountain in Castajerez, or singing happy birthday to a pilgrim at the municipal albergue in, say, Belarado, leaving a little piece of yourself behind in all those you meet along the way. Pilgrims walk the Camino for a range of reasons, but pilgrimage is mostly about love, finding love and spreading love, enjoying the company of strangers because it's love that brings us together. Well, my guest this week is an author. Bibi Barami's latest book is called Moon Camino de Santiago, Sacred Sites, Historic Villages, Local Food and Wine. I like the sound of that book. (laughs) Bibi Barami is on the line from the United States. Welcome, pilgrim.
1: Hello, Dan. Thank you very much. It's great to be here.
0: Why is Moon in the title? Moon, Camino de Santiago, sacred sites, historic villages, local food and wine. What's with the Moon?
1: Well, Moon is, is, a, is a publishing imprint ah. in the United States. It's a part of Avalon Travel. And they're known for their, their guidebooks that tend to dig a little deeper than most guidebooks. And they give a lot of room to the authors they commission to uh, bring their voice out and their experiences uh, in the places that they're covering. So it's a really, it, it, it is a great, it's great to be on the moon.
0: <laughs> ah, I really like that. I should have perhaps even known that. It's a guidebook. But, Bibi, how much guidance should we seek?
1: I think that's a very personal question and a, a very personal quest. And uh, the answer is, it really depends on on uh, what you you want. Um, there there are people, as I'm sure you well know, and uh, maybe you you're you're such a pilgrim who didn't take a guidebook, didn't look at a map, trusted the arrows, trusted yeah, your 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 sense of, of east to to west, the rising sun and the setting sun, and that's all that's all great, that's fine. Um, there are people who want to have those practical details and to look at them before they go or while they're going and there are people who uh, want to know a little bit more so they don't miss certain things Um, or if they you know feel timid about asking a local maybe they don't have the language uh, at at that time though many of us by the time we get to Santiago know some Spanish and French Um, but you know it's 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 really there for you know whatever somebody is looking for. It's 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 a it's a vessel full of information, and they can take as much or as little as they want.
0: Let's talk about you and the Camino. You first walked the way in 1995. It would have been considerably different than it is today.
1: Absolutely, and um, you know, and I at the time I didn't walk the whole trail, and I actually didn't uh, walk most of what people know as the Camino Frances. I was actually on the coastal route, uh, making my way up from Portugal to Santiago de Compostela, and I wasn't even planning on walking at the time. Um, so I, it was a really raw experience. Um, it, it certainly there there were no markers, there were no uh, support facilities, and I was also walking at a time that was considered the off season for the coast. It was early spring. But it taught me everything that made me absolutely in love, fall in love with the whole idea of pilgrimage and being a pilgrim. And it was actually where I discovered what being a pilgrim, at least for me, was. Um, I, I actually jumped off the train on its way to Santiago de Compostela when I heard the train conductor. I was with my husband, by the way. He's also, he, he was there for that first trek. And we were intending to go to Santiago de Compostela just for the intent of, of visiting the city and then planning the long walk from saint jean pierre de But uh, when the train approached Padrón, just south of Santiago, and as you probably well known many of your listeners, that's where the stone hearing St. James the Greater arrived with his, his body and his two disciples and, and, and anchored on uh, Galician shore before they finally made their way to Santiago. And just looked at each other and said, that's it. That's where it starts. And we just, we left off the train, right, as it was leaving the station in Padron when we realized no this is where we have to start we weren't we weren't planning on walking and uh, we did start walking from 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 that point south and made our way around the coast and we're utterly unprepared we had no water we had no food uh, we just had the passion and excitement of a great adventure <laughs> and 3 hours into it uh seeing nobody. Uh, Finally a car drove by and a woman stopped and I asked her where the nearest village was and where we might be able to find food and water and she opened the trunk of her car and said well I've just come back from shopping and I was thinking of going for a hike myself and here's some water and here's a couple sandwiches that I picked up just for that possibility but they're yours and I wanted to pay her for them and she refused and she said no no this is pilgrimage And it was in that moment I realized this is pilgrimage. This is trusting the unknown, leaping off of a train, not knowing where you're going to sleep or if there's a place to sleep, not having any idea where the food or water is, and somebody else acknowledging that you're a pilgrim. Uh, So that was 1995.
0: Wow. (laughs) Wow. And do you remember then, cast your mind back if you could, how you first heard about the Camino?
1: Sure. Uh, it was 1986, and I was a exchange student, college exchange student um, in the south of Spain at the University of Seville. And it was one spring day. I was sitting up in the front of the class, as was my habit, because I, I really needed to see the lips of the professor as he was lecturing and pacing back and forth in the front of the classroom as I took notes and struggled to learn Spanish more fluently. And it was a class on the history of Spain. And our professor would pace every day and smoke, chain smoke. And <laughs> the risk of sitting in the front of the classroom was he always knocked ash onto my notebook as he walked by. But this day, he was talking about the, this, this frontier zone, this great road that was forged between the north and the south of Spain in the Middle Ages, and it was, you know, today it's called the Camino de Santiago. And as he walked by my notebook, he tapped ash right as I was writing those three magical words. Oh, wow. And I just circled them and, you know, smudged ash on that notebook page and it became a talisman and it worked its way into my brain and my my blood and my, my, my body. And I just thought, I don't know what this means. But I know I have to go there and I have to find out what it's all about. And it took many more years before I finally really did. And I, I actually walked, r- walked other routes than the Camino Frances before I finally got to the Camino Frances full time for the full walk, you know, from the Pyrenees to Santiago de Compostela. And that was 2007. Before then, I had lived a little bit in Sagun, I had lived a little bit in Santiago de Compostela, and I had walked most of the Camino del Norte. But that, I still see that 2007 trek on the Camino Frances, the main historic route, uh, as the, that's, that was the epic pilgrim experience, the first true, you know, uh, energy and the fullness of that, that adventure that we think of. It's not just the long walk in in immense nature and beauty, but also the camaraderie.
0: So the book is called Moon Camino de Santiago, Sacred Sites, Historic Villages, Local Food and Wine. You, you, you obviously don't compile the book in front of a computer. You must write it on foot and I've talked here about slow tourism walking to the beat of your heart <laughs> how important is rhythm and the meditation it provides in your work and in your search as it were
1: oh, what a rich question it's it's very important uh, I I think that part of the the addiction to the Camino is that it is a walking meditation. Even if I'm writing a guidebook, you know, it's, it's that reliance on footfall. And, uh, long ago I tried meditation, the sit down kind of meditation. And my, my teacher actually said, maybe you're one of those people who needs a moving meditation. (laughs) And indeed, you know, and, and that is a great, a part of the appeal of the Camino, but it also it you you really it grounds you so much in your body as you're moving across the landscape paying attention to details that normally you would miss back home i i find um that that it's it's a really a great tool for picking up a lot of details and seeing things and I, I like to go slowly, and I am, I am also far more mindful in, in my awareness when I'm on the Camino, part because I'm writing a guidebook and part because of the support. You know, everyone is there doing the great walking meditation. And um, I like to, you, you know, gather information from a lot of different ways, different sort of senses—
0: the book, Moon, Camino de Santiago, Sacred Sites, Historic Villages, Local Food and Wine. It's full of details and maps and trail notes. And then you talk also about local food and wine. You talk about stories from regional areas and, and part of their folklore. And you talk about the layers, as you put it, of the Camino from pre- prehistory through the Middle Ages to the present. What's one thing that surprised you when you were doing your research for the book? <laughs>
1: The, the, there's always another layer underneath um you know i i think i even you know when when you go through a place like atapuerca uh, right before burgos that has the oldest human remains were found there of uh, in all of europe i'm always surprised by how there's it yeah you know, i like really digging down to all the layers on the camino and i've it always has one more layer, you know, and then underneath that another layer uh it's just astounding it's such an ancient place um such as Atatapuerca, with the oldest remains of of humans in anywhere in europe
0: you what what have you come to learn about yourself in the process of of collating this book and and indeed in terms of your whole pilgrim journey
1: yeah I, I love this, that life on the road, that life of simplicity, of movement, of, you know, I have a, a, a friend um, who's also a, a great lover of the Camino and she, she's, she's in California and Nancy Reynolds, um, she's very active in the Camino community. And she, she says that people always bring their best selves to the Camino. And I really like that um, because I think I found my best self on the Camino. I learned a lot about generosity and hospitality and trust, trust, trusting others, trusting myself, trusting the unknown. Uh, I I think I, yeah, I, these are things that I really learned out there and that I really liked you know now when I feel myself worrying about something I, I step back and say well take the Camino consciousness you know into this you know and just trust trust what you need is going to show up when you when you need it and it helps it helps a lot um, and I've learned I really like that I actually like stepping into the unknown
0: Yeah. One of your (laughs) earlier books is The Spiritual Traveller Spain. It's a celebration of the sacred and spiritual places and along the roads of Spain. Do I have to be a so-called spiritual person to experience a spiritual journey on the Camino and beyond? I don't
1: think so. I don't think so. I think that if there are just like there are many layers on the Camino, there are many layers of, of experience that can be, uh, described as spiritual. Um, some people would call a spiritual experience, just the being gobsmacked at a gorgeous sunrise. Mm. And, um, and that's certainly plenty and enough. Um, and other people would, would say, well, but also that, that feeling I get, um, When I step into a a church, but I, I think something interesting does happen with the idea of spiritual when somebody starts walking the Camino, no matter what they're, they bring with it, you know, if they come open thinking I, you know, I am a spiritual person and I'm going to, I'm seeking a spiritual experience or somebody who's an absolute rational uh, five senses person um, who is even skeptical of all those things that are called spiritual, everyone winds up in some way having a spiritual experience on the Camino because it is such a multi-layered and diverse and expansive and all-inclusive experience. Uh, the, The skeptic might find themselves deeply moved, by somebody they met who helped them uh, unexpectedly right when they needed it. Or they might have a dream because they've been walking now for two weeks. And when you walk long days and you're tired every day, your dreams change. And when you're meeting people from 190 nations around the world, your dreams change. And they might have a dream that they can only describe as spiritual or mystical or somebody from... Uh, that they loved, who passed on, coming and speaking to them, and it felt very real. I think it's many, many things, and I think everyone, in the end, winds up having a spiritual experience on the Camino, just because the long walk, what it demands of us.
0: Yeah, great answer. Wow, that was awesome. Hey, let me let me now go to the uh, to the elevator pitch. How do you explain the Camino to someone who asks you about it?
1: <laughs> but, you know, if, if there is somebody from North America, I'll say, well, you know, it's like walking the Appalachian Trail uh, mixed with the great, combined with the great backpacking tour of Europe. You know, you get the wild, rugged outdoors and the long walk. You also get a lot of culture and history and meeting people and the party. <laughs> and... Um, but, but it it has to be that mix you know of 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 that kind of wild mix you know it might be you know maybe you would describe it as a walkabout um, with a backpacking tour <laughs> of Europe mixed in <laughs> um, but it but it is a great adventure and uh, whatever you know somebody is seeking from it whether it's just the the physical challenge or or a mystical you know experience. It is a great adventure, and it will it will change a person.
0: Yeah, I think that, I think there's no question about that. It will change you, and yeah. the journey has changed you, and it's changed me. But how has being a pilgrim influenced you?
1: <clears throat> oh, uh, it's made me. Uh, a lot calmer and more trusting and more generous. And I, I think more in terms of simplifying things and seeing the essential in something. So, you know, not not needing so much stuff, but wanting to, to, to seek the connection with another person. Um, honoring the earth, too. I think being a pilgrim is as much about embracing all of our humanity and learning from each other, but it's also learning from the land that we walk through or that we live on and exist in. And uh, I love something that uh, Martin Shaw, who is a storyteller, a mythologist, a writer uh, from England, he, he says what we need right now are more stories from the land, not the landowner, and I think being a pilgrim gives you the stories of the land. The land starts speaking to you, and these are these are deep stories of the other people who've walked before as well, not just the wild land, but the the, the many beings who have been there before and left their imprints.
0: Yeah. Have you ever wondered why the pilgrimage spoke to you like it did that day, back back when you and your husband just decided to get off the train in Padron?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's just I've always loved to to explore, and I've always loved to do it at my with my own motor, you know, my own <laughs> feet, my own pace, and. And that just really called to me because it was set up for that. It was like this is the way. This is the way you get to Santiago de Compostela. You know, you walk, you explore, you you trust the unknown, and I think all of that really called to me. I, I you know, and I, my training was is in anthropology, and one of the things that I studied uh, in in earning my degree was pilgrimage and uh rites of passage as a part you know pilgrimage as a rite of passage and how we're changed by 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 rites of passage by rituals and by pilgrimage you know it, it it removes us from our familiar context the the things that we've routinized and kind of you know don't think about or don't notice and and the structures that that define our lives we're removed from that and we're Cast onto this unknown, unpredictable t- terrain. And we're meeting people who are from all over the world who are in the same situation. So mm. we bond on that commonness of we're all, you know, we've all been removed from what we know. Yeah. And now we're in this together. We're bonded. And then you arrive at the end of that, that betwixt and between, that liminal stage of, of walking into the unknown to your goal and find that you've been completely rewoven and that whoever you are when you go home is a different fabric from the person that you left that you've been unraveled and re- rewoven and it's not over yet you know you're you're it's still a process unfolding and uh, I I, th- I think that's a huge, yeah, that was a huge attraction when I started reading the literature on pilgrimage and rites of passage and how we're, we transform through these things. I just thought, oh, yeah, I, I want to experience that, you know, head on. And in modern life, you know, we don't have that many opportunities for really full-blown rites of passage that will transform us the way they used to. You know, there There is ritual, but our rituals don't always have the same pow that they, they once did, you know? Um, so I think pilgrimage called to me for feeling that good old time, old fashioned transformation.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a really interesting way of looking at it, Bibi. I wonder then what can a pilgrim in 2020 learn from a pilgrim of say 1520 or even oh. 820? Uh, you've done <laughs> a lot of research and you know, the history backwards. But I wonder you know, what we can learn of pilgrims of the past, or are we perhaps even more similar than we we expect?
1: I, I think we're, we may be more similar than we expect um, in many ways. Like the in the Middle Ages, you know, we have this idea of these pious pilgrims making their way to Santiago de Compostela, or Rome, or Jerusalem, or, or Mecca, or the Ganges. Mm-hmm. And um, really, they were as a mixed lot as we are today. There were the, the vagabonds and the adventurers and the people who had to get out of Dodge <laughs> before somebody <laughs> caught them. You know, there, there's the whole, there's the whole lot. And then there are of course the pious and the, devout, the, the devout. Um, but I, you know, I, I sometimes think also, boy, they really had a lot more hardship than, than we do. And, you know, a plague they were still walking during a plague that they many more people actually started walking because of the plague you know hoping yeah. for some kind of a miracle or or protection um and they they walked without the certainty of really knowing if there were support services or if you know somebody was was going to you know rob them in, in a deep woods um so, so I sometimes wonder what is then the pilgrimage of the future, and will it be like now, or you know? And I think there again will be the same, you know, lot of varied pilgrims with their various reasons to walk. But it's probably going to be even more technological. And one of the shocks to me in the in the changes of the Camino over the last couple of decades is. How, you know, how many more people now carry devices and are connected even while walking. And, you know, I, I everyone has to find their, their place on that. My feeling is that it, it presents a challenge from having a deeper experience of transformation if you're still connected to the familiar structured life back home. And it's a hard one to, to call, too, because I know, you know, I as much as I don't want to use a device or, or rely on technology, I, I have parents who, who are uh, elderly and I, I I need to stay in touch with them. So now I'm like really grateful for the iPad or the telephone, the, the cell phone. But I, but I, I think that um, pilgrims in the future are going to have an even bigger challenge about how much technology and connectiveness, connectiveness should be a part of their pilgrimage. And maybe it will be harder to have the full transformation that a rite of passage, which is a pilgrimage, um, can bring about.
0: I wonder then how the pilgrimage may change, the route may change, the, 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 uh, the surroundings or the environment may change, but the intent won't change, Bibi.
1: I think you're right. I think you're right. And I think right now what we're going through right now it's a huge pause everywhere and on the Camino as well and it's there's there's a lot of hardship in that, you know, there are a lot yeah. of people really hurting everywhere and on the Camino uh which is such a it's it's such a cottage industry, you know. I mean it's such a it's not the right word. It's just it's such as uh, sus, uh, you know, people really rely on each season to get them through.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So very basic economy, so they're really hurting. But there's also this sort of slowing down and pausing and saying, going forward, what what do we want to do? What do we want to carry forward? And I wonder if, for a time, it's if it's going to bring about. Uh, return to some of those uh more slowed down um and organic experiences of pilgrimage Mm. for one thing we don't know how many of the albergues are going to be operating in the next year or two so it's going to change that whole terrain i don't know i I don't know I, i think i'm free associating right now trying to think but but i do think the spirit of the camino is is still absolutely it's going to be there going to be the same spirit it it survived so many centuries already and uh, went through a recent revival in the 80s 90s into 2000 and it's not going to go away and it's going to keep coming back and feeding our souls
0: you can't wait
1: <laughs> yeah, me neither. Oh, I know. Everyone is so hurting to, to get back and they want us back too. They're missing us.
0: Let's get back to the new book. It includes ideas um, for enriching the pilgrim's experience. Like what? Well,
1: you know, it's... It's really in there in in, in every page. You know, you can go as as deep as you want, whether you want to explore the local food and wine or the historic villages or the sacred sites. But it's there, you know, giving you a little bit more about uh, uh, Iron Age hilltop fortress that that you might miss if you don't know. It's hidden behind the hill 200 meters to the left and uh, what it was all about and, you know, when it was built and who lived there. Or, you know, really exquisite little churches that line the entire route, giving a little bit more information about, you know, what was the inspiration in building that place or what was the legend behind it. Um, And and there's a lot of folklore on the Camino, and and that's folded in to every page as well, along with the religious history. But there's this folklore that is beyond the religion, that is a part of the cultures that, that... grew up and built the Camino and and brought those stories of the land into the churches.
0: You write about the local flavors, as you call them, food and wine. And and if you ask me some, the food and wine is one of the great things about the Camino. I know that people will say, don't be ridiculous. It's, you know, (laughs) ham on a ham on a bread roll and, uh, and very cheap wine. But I don't, I seem to find it quite fascinating the whole process of the food and wine for me, it was just so so lovely. Tell us about sipping wine in Cacabellos.
1: Oh, Well, you know, this that's where you're you're entering into the Bierzo wine country. <laughs> you know, wines that may never be exported. Uh, and uh, I'm sure you recall that day of arriving in Cacabelos. You were walking through vineyards, mm. and leaving Cacabelos, you're walking through vineyards. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it's just. Uh, so much of, of the life there is is, is based on, on the wine making and uh those velvety uh mencia wines. Um yeah, my mouth is now watering. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's where C- cacabellus is, is where the, everybody takes that photograph, don't they? Of the house up on the yes, hill on its own. Right after it's,
1: that. yeah, right. and it's got just that on single the way to tree. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, on the way to uh um on the way to, uh, del bills, yeah. 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 How beautiful.
1: Yeah. I, I'm glad you mentioned that you love the food and wine because I think that's another thing I really wanted to, to inspire people with in the book that, you know, you know, there's certainly there's the menu del peregrino, the pilgrim's menu that's 10 euros, you, you know, good basics recourse. And, and it's, a lot of people found oh it's the same over and over and over and or the, the 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 meat on on bread or the cheese slapped in bread and and those are that's all really like trail food and it's on the trail but if you just get off you know a few meters from the trail I'm hoping you know to nudge people and say that's where you might find that special dish that takes a little longer to cook and might cost you know 15 euros <laughs> But yeah. it's it worth it as a treat every now and then. And every region, I mean, this is the whole Camino passes through uh, farming country and wine country the whole way. And so to to I wanted to make sure people could find those specialties in wine and food of each region as they went. And, and you know, maybe every now and then get away from the menu del peregrino. Yeah. The what? All, you
0: know, I just, I found it all good. <laughs> yeah, I, we, we arrived in Lerogno, uh my old friend Brett and I, and everything was closed. You couldn't. There was nothing to eat anywhere. Um, and yeah. we wandered down by the river and saw a, a maitre d. I I guess, I don't know, there's a Spanish term, I'm sure, for maitre d', but he's standing outside this restaurant. He had the white apron and the, you know, bow tie and smoking a cigarette. And I said, can we mm-hmm. come in and eat? And he sort of looked us up and down. And said, "Oh yes, all right." And we went into this <laughs> <laughs> went into this sort of darkened restaurant, and it was quite late um, for lunchtime on a Sunday, but packed with with locals. The food was absolutely exquisite. It was unbelievable, and I think yeah. for the for the for three course meal and the wine and a couple of beers or whatever, it was like thirty five euros for for the pair of us. You know, it cost it was nothing and That's not- you, and the food was exquisite and we kept saying to them you tell us what to have we want to eat the <laughs> local produce you know we and so they were really delighted and and by the end of the the meal the, the locals had gone and the staff were sitting around with us you know these two austral <laughs> these two Australians and we were telling stories and being silly and and oh
1: I think that Wonderful! I yeah. think that's the way to go too. I mean, the Spanish really love connecting with people and, and they're very generous and they're not at all judgmental. You know, they're like, whether, you know, somebody is there for the first time in Spain and may not speak a lot, you know, it's still... The, the Spanish want to pull you in if you just have that sense of, you know, tell me, what what should I eat? I love that you did that.
0: Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll never forget... The waiter said to us, "I um, oh, now I've forgotten what it is, but a cheese of the region, um, queso the region, whatever whatever it was in Spanish." And he said, "You must learn this um, <laughs> because it's going to become a very important part of your camino." And we were saying, "Okay," so we learned it, and so we were able then, as we went on, to stop somewhere and we would just sit down and say, "Cheese of the region," and they would bring us out the local cheese, and and. And, oh, that's great. Yeah, and so, you know, I remember in uh, Castro Hero sitting in this very unusual, quirky restaurant, cafe sort of thing, and saying, you know, to cheese the region. And they brought the, brought out three different types of soft cheese and mild cheese and, a, you know, whatever. And by the time we left, you know, sort of half an hour later to go back out walking, everybody in the room is eating the same thing. Because we were were raving about it. Oh, how good is that? Oh, that is so good. Everyone's saying, oh, we've got to have what he's having, you know. Cheese of the region is a good way to to explore, isn't it? A good way to start, a good place to start.
1: Yeah, I love that. I think I'm going to steal that. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I think you could also say, you know, vino de la región, the wine of the region, and the cocido de la región, the stew of the region. I think this is – let's riff on this. This is – Thank
0: you. Yeah, well, it was really interesting because um, that restaurant down by the river in Loroño, um, they brought out bread and cheese and we were eating the cheese yeah. and I was saying, oh, heavens, if that's the nicest cheese I've ever eaten in my entire life, you see. Yeah. And so when they came and sort of milled around at the end of the meal, we were sort of hanging around and I, we were talking about the cheese and they were saying, oh, you know, we're very famous for cheese and whatever, whatever, whatever and w- where we are from in Queensland in Australia is beef country and mm. and so you know we were talking about beef and, and and so you know talking in that language that they understood and then they were able to say come on you know it's not just us it's everywhere you have to change you <laughs> have to taste the, the taste of everywhere don't just think yeah. that we're great wait till you get to here and wait till you get to there um, so yeah, try your cheese of the region. It was a really good way. Also, it was a nice way to say to the people, "Hey, we like your your neck of the woods. We're pleased to be here," and they were able to yeah. sort of show off a little bit, which was great.
1: I think that's beautiful. I think you know that you, when you're walking through so many regions on the Camino, I mean, it, it's a, it's a great way to to taste the land and to taste the you know the, the milk from the sheep that you mm. you know just spent a half a day walking past or, you know, the bread from the wheat that's growing there and, of course, the wine. Um, yeah, the, It's another way of experiencing the Camino that you just witnessed.
0: Yeah, yeah. You've, you've also written a guidebook to walks around Madrid. Um, I love Madrid. There's something about that mm. city that rings true with me. I have some sort of connection to it. It might be a past life or something. I love it, oh. and Madrid loves me too. I'm really happy when I'm there, and there's Well, an op- you're a musician, Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Have you have you ever um, sung in public there in a square, set up your stood with your guitar, and I, they would.
0: Yeah, I know I haven't, but I did one you night. You haven't? No, I, no oh, I, did, that, I I have to do it. I know. you
1: really love
0: you. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> I got up one night in, uh, in a bar in just off the Plaza Mayor and sang a few songs, which was great. They invited me up to sing, and that was a great night. But there's okay, there, there's an old wonder. proverb, which I'll probably mess up, but when I die, please, God, let me go to heaven, but can I just have a little window to look back on Madrid? Mm. what what is it about Madrid that fascinates you bibi
1: you know it's the energy of the place um the, the people you know they they definitely it's a big city it's the capital people work hard but wow it's they 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 really party hard too <laughs> you know in a in a good way but <laughs> but boy they 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 take it as seriously if not more seriously than their work and it's just you, know, you turn a corner and there's a whole other universe, a, a street that's completely different. Um, the th- What's going on on that street, whether it's, you know, some streets are literary streets. So, you know, it's all books and, and really old bookstores and all these literary professorial types wandering around. But then some of the best, you know, beer joints are tucked into those places you know and then you turn another corner and it's just it's it's a complete movable feast where you're just supposed to go from one tapas bar to the next you know and taste this specialty and then drink a little bit of wine and then move on to the next one and um there's just something it's maybe the energy also of being out there in the center of the high plateau um you know kind of where the castile's intersect and um the gorgeous mountains around it but it's still a high plateau and it's it still has this wild country around it and it's still living from its hinterland and you know local foods are coming in but uh the art I mean it's just you just never get tired of being there it's very energetic and there's always something interesting for everybody
0: I can't wait to get back (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I can't wait to get back. Well, the, I, I I remember um, the third time I was there, I think, and I had an iPhone, but I never really l- looked at how far you've walked yeah. You know, like, and I sat down to have a beer at the end of the day and I'd walked 32 kilometres that day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just walking the streets yeah. of Madrid, just totally in love with the place oh gosh
1: it's incredibly walkable yeah
0: yeah yeah, yeah. and talk about those literary streets and those are uh, sitting in a, a vermouth bar a 500 year old vermouth bar and talking to yeah. this this gentleman and he he said he'd never met an australian and hmm. he he lived half his life in madrid and half his life in barcelona Um, six months of the year at at each city. And I said, what do you do in Madrid while you're here? And he said, this, this is what I do. I sit here in this (laughs) Vermouth bar every day. And I said, what do you do in Barcelona? He said, I sit in a bar in in Barcelona every day.
1: That
0: sounds like... (laughs) Yeah, I, I talk to people like you. And again, he was saying, okay, you know, you have to have our local – we're very proud of this meal. And it, it was, I think, sheep's intestines or something. It was <laughs> – but it was beautiful and he was yeah. lovely and the locals were lovely, yeah. Oh, I'd go back tomorrow, yeah. drop of a hat. I'm, I'm just thinking uh, if, when I talk to you about writing a book about a guidebook and there's lots of fantastic things, there's pull-out, fold-out maps of the entire route, there's all sorts of details and everything – how much planning should I do? Should I sometimes use the term here a spreadsheet pilgrim? Should I do lots of planning or just let you know let, let the camino carry me where it feels I ought to go?
1: I I absolutely vote for just go, just go and see what happens. I I I don't think people should even you know worry about booking ahead. You know. There's that worry about, will I find a place to sleep? But part of the magic of the Camino is finding out where the Camino is going to land you (laughs) that night, you know, and how it's going to solve the conundrum if you do wind up walking into town and every albergue seems to be full. And that's the moment where, you know, the, the fairy godmother shows up at the end of the road and says, Aha, but have you considered that, you know, little place just five hundred meters to the left you know and you wind up having the best night in mm-hmm. that one place that took you just a little off the camino or what was not going to present itself until you had tried every other place I mean it it sounds harrowing at the time it's like oh my god there's but I really I I'm I, I am really an advocate for for really trusting and and not over planning and not over scheduling even or booking ahead reserving just start walking and see where that your feet and your sense of things and the people you meet uh guide you to be at the end of that day guide you to eat where to eat guide you where to sleep um leave it open and spontaneous and i think it's a then it can really work its way into you on levels that may not happen if everything is more controlled and planned. On the other hand, for people who do, you know, do the spreadsheet and and plan everything out, um, the Camino has a way of getting you where you need to be anyway, and sometimes it might trash that entire plan at the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it might just, you know, force you to revise it later on. But I think it's fairly safe to say that every... Everyone who's gone to walk the Camino, whatever they planned, however much they planned, the Camino undoes it all and gives you a better plan.
0: Mm, I love that. I love that. Can anyone walk the Camino, baby?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Anyone can. Uh, all they have to do is start saying, I want to do this, and how can I do it? You know, I mean, if... People who have handicaps, there's, should, there's nothing stopping them. There are ways. There are ways to, 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 to walk the Camino, or roll on the Camino. Uh, I've, I've met people who were going on crutches on the Camino, and, and they, they had to bandage their hands as much as their feet, but they did it. Um, yeah, it's the sky's the limit. If you really want to do it, you can.
0: Yeah, and you write tips for seniors and women traveling alone, um religious and secular travels, LGBTQ travelers. I found the Camino yeah. welcomes everyone.
1: Absolutely. Everyone of all backgrounds. It's it's a very curious place. You know, if anything people um who who may feel that they're they're different they may get uh, curiosity. That's the kind of interest, you know, and people want to say, oh, well, tell me more about you and who are you and what is your walk in life. You know, it's a very curious place. Locals and pilgrims. Everyone is is very open and wants to learn. Um, what, I love talking to locals and almost all the time when I say, you know, what's it like to live on a path like this where every day it's a guarantee there are going to be strangers walking through your town, your village, your hamlet. Yeah. Does it get old? Does, is it overwhelming? And no one has ever said it's an awful thing or they get tired of it. They actually say, no, I love it. I don't have to travel because the whole world comes here and I meet fascinating people and I'm not distracted by trying to see, you know, the seven wonders of the world instead They're the whole point, you know, I get to talk to them about, you know, being from Kyrgyzstan and New New Zealand and Australia and Japan and Korea and Argentina. (laughs) I get to travel and I just stay right here on my front stoop. (laughs) So, yeah, it's very accepting and it's a very curious place.
0: Yeah. I remember standing on the side of the road in a little town halfway between Leon and St. Michael del Camino. And the, the flowers, the roses in this garden were so beautiful. And I was standing there and this little old lady came up and stood beside me. And I've written here somewhere that she was so thin. Um, when I put mm-hmm. my arm around her, it was like a pillowcase full of coat hangers. And oh, wow. she smelt like dust, you know. And I said, the flowers are so beautiful. And she said, thank you, they're mine. Mm. And she and I stood on the other side of the road looking at her house, admiring her flowers. And I just gave her a little hug and I said, Thank you for the beauty of of your endeavor, you know, for for giving me a little bit of beauty in my life, such a lovely thing. She and I both sort of had tears in our eyes, and I hugged her and mm. on I went. And as you walk down between Leon and St. Michael del Camino, you walk along the canal. There's a little,
1: yeah.
0: little, uh, and it gets narrower and narrower as the agricultural, you know, the sort of water canals gets sort of further and further inland. And I just thought to myself, this could be the most beautiful thing I've ever done. And, <laughs> and just enjoying having the time to enjoy the beauty of, Her creativity and her endeavour was just such a beautiful thing. And it transformed me, the whole journey, and continues to do so today. And I I note in the publicity for the book, um, Bibi says, start your transformative journey here. If If I'm picking up your book, what should I expect from the Camino? Should I have expectations?
1: Only a sense of adventure. I, I'm i a big fan of um, trying to hold off on expectations and just go and find out, go and find out
0: hmm.
1: and leap right in.
0: Hmm. Um, what have you learned about yourself on this, hmm. this Camino journey, Bibi?
1: What have I learned about myself? I really like. Walking into the unknown, I think I've said that before, and and meeting new people, um, I like the way it knocks the dust off my life and kind of hits a reset button and a refresh. I like uh, being challenged. I've learned that I I really like being challenged, uh, finding out that what I thought things were the way things were aren't that way, that it's far more interesting. Um, I, I like constantly learning. Um, being surprised, keeping it simple. Another thing about the, the pilgrim life, I absolutely love the minimalist <laughs> journey of, you know, just carry what you need. And that means all those things that you thought you needed, just, you know, you don't really need them, just drop them at the side of the road. Um, yeah. I, uh,
0: I asked you before about the history of the Camino and we, we sort of touched on it briefly and there's some terrific stories in the book. But what do you think a future Camino might look like?
1: That's such a good question. Uh, I think that there are many people working on on that because you know it's a beautiful trail, and um, a lot of associations, local municipal associations and regional associations, are working to, you know, maintain it and and keep it beautiful and keep it walker and and bike friendly. Um, But they all have very many different ideas and some, you know, like to pave over places and others say, no, 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 we need to leave it a dirt road. So those sorts of things are going to kind of, you know, be batted about. But I think the, the fundamental structure of the Camino today is still going to be the, the future Camino because that's what's been working. If it gets overdeveloped or overbuilt, it'll start losing its enchanting balance between culture and nature. And, um, but I think it's probably still going to be much more connected uh, by technology. Uh, if, if the trends uh, reveal anything in, in recent years, you know, more people really do want to have that connectivity. So mm. that's going to change the way people uh, walk it and find places on it and find each other on it and stay connected with each other as well as back home. So greater connectivity, a lot more technology probably. But I think even for people such as myself who prefer less Uh, technology when i'm walking and that that's one of the benefits of walking that's still going to be there you know you're still going to have those big vast expanses of the meseta or the crossing over the pyrenees uh or the the rolling hills through vineyards where you can choose however much connected or not connected you want to be technologically
0: yeah. yeah 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 There'll always yeah. be that spiritual connection, that personal element of it, which is, of course, one of the things we love so much. Tell us a Camino, right. tell us a Camino story, Bibi. Mm.
1: You know, one of the things I really love about the Camino is is trail magic and the unexpected mm. serendipity or synchronicities that happen. And um, I I just thought of of a nun I met, Marie, who. Uh, she started appearing in my walk uh, a few a, a day before arriving in Ocebrero. I don't know, you know, I hadn't seen her before, but suddenly there was this 85-year-old woman with a canvas rucksack on her back, a plastic bag of food swinging on one arm and her walking stick swinging the other arm and tap, tap, tapping as she walked. And every time she arrived at a kilometer marker or a trail marker on the route she would stop and she would say a prayer and she would tap the stone with her stick so i kept passing her and it was only three days into this routine of i kept seeing marie and i kept passing her and she was walking at a very leisurely pace and uh it was only three days in that i suddenly said hey wait a minute how come I keep passing Marie, but I never see her passing me? (laughs) How does she do that? (laughs) And when I finally caught up with her, because, of course, when I walked into town, uh, into Saria, there she was sitting, sipping a cup of tea at a cafe. And again, I said, I swear I had just passed her. (laughs) How did she now wind up up ahead of me? And I finally got her story, you know, I mean, I didn't get the explanation for that, but she had walked all the way from her convent in Montpellier in Southern France to where she was. And she, she made her way to Santiago de Compostela, but she had been walking a long time. She just stepped out the front doors of her convent and started walking. And um, I finally, I said, how is it that, I keep passing you, but I never see you pass me. And she just gave me a smile like, you know, I've got my ways, I've got my (laughs) connection. And I just thought, what delicious, beautiful trail magic. And, you know, I I met her at a time where um, it it was great to meet somebody who was 85, a woman walking alone. And she had walked all the way from Montpellier. So she already had, you know, at least a good thousand miles under her (laughs) You know? And and so it was right when I you know I thought you can do this you know you I, I I was I was flagging you know I was wondering if I was going to finish that walk and and she gave me a a lot of of encouragement to keep going and now I think for my older age too I still think of her I think I'm going to keep walking this I want to be 85 and keep walking this you know updating my guidebook. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
0: <laughs> How lovely. How lovely. Mm. 85 years old. Gosh, I'd love to be still doing it at 85 too. That's great. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Oh, look, Bibi, I've so thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. I think we're all so lucky to have people like Bibi Barrami in our midst. You're a storyteller of keep a keeper of the wisdom to pass on to pilgrims now and into the future and I I really appreciate that scholarship. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us, Bibi, and I wish you all the best with the new book and your future endeavors, both as an author and as a pilgrim. I'll...
1: Oh, Thank you, Dan. I, I really, it's been a real pleasure to be here and, and i so honored to get to speak with you is I think we're very lucky to have you uh, bringing us all together and uh, keeping the spirit of the Camino alive and juiced up Um uh, during this time, and then before and after this time. So thank you for what you're doing.
0: It's my pleasure. I love it. I, I think you can tell I love it. <laughs> 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 Every week, I never stop talking about it. Oh, look, thank you so much, <laughs> Bibi. I'll give all the details of the book and where people can get it um, uh, after, we've, after we've said our farewells. Buen Camino. Buen Camino.
1: Thank you.
0: My guest this week was the author and pilgrim, Bibi Barami. Her latest book is called Moon, Camino de Santiago, Sacred Sites, Historic Villages, Local Food and Wine. I like the sound of that book. (laughs) My thanks to Carol King, who posted a quote on the virtual Camino Facebook page this week. An adventurous life does not necessarily mean climbing mountains, swimming with sharks or jumping off cliffs. It means risking yourself by leaving a little piece of you behind in all of those you meet along the way. Oh, yeah. (laughs) People like Bibi Barami. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino.